Amen and amen. Well, good morning, church. Happy Resurrection Day. What a special day this is. Like Pastor Ham just said a few moments ago, I too never thought I would see the day where we would be preaching and gathering on a Easter Sunday morning, early in the morning, and now here at the regular service to empty chairs. Boy, what a blessing it is to know that you're out there and you're watching, and we're just longing for the day where we can be together again, so looking forward to the day where we can just embrace each other and enjoy the fellowship of one another, and we're just going to praise the Lord together. But until that day comes, we'll just keep doing what we have the ability to do and enjoying this time that we have together every Sunday. Speaking of which, there are a lot of other things coming up, um, but uh, before we get too far, I want to introduce myself, just in case you're joining us for the first time. I'm Pastor Bruce Goldsmith, that was Pastor Ham Paul, and this is Laurel Hill Baptist Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we're just so glad that you're with us on this special Resurrection Sunday morning. So let me just uh, make a couple of announcements. Uh, for those of you that are watching and for our church family, uh, we are on Facebook Live, as you well know. Uh, we are also working to make sure that this is on our website. It will be there later today or tomorrow as a recording. But then also we're still working on our YouTube channel. That is LHBC Church. LHBC Church. You can go there and you can see all the videos. Uh, that's coming live right now. It's live, but we're also just... Uh, still working on that. So be patient with us as we're waiting on some equipment to come in, but we're going to make that happen, Lord willing. Uh, also, every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., Brother Jeff Sims has his Sunday school class for the adults, and you can tune in to Zoom for that. If you'd like an invitation for any of these things I'm going to mention, uh, please just let us know by email. You can go to our website and get all the information that you need to contact us. Uh, Monday night and Tuesday morning, we have two separate men's Bible studies. You're welcome to join us for either one of those. One at 6 p.m. on Monday night and then 8 a.m. Uh, excuse me, 6 p.m. on Monday night and then, uh, yes, 8 um, in the morning on Tuesday morning. Wednesday nights, we have just started the first week this past week uh, going through a book by Paul Miller, Love Walked Among Us. And we'd love to have you join us for that. Had a great crowd last week and uh, this is all again by Zoom. Okay, so again, if you'd like to join us for any of these things during the week and you want to fellowship and worship uh, virtually, uh, we'd be blessed to have you. Uh, now, today, as we're preparing our hearts for this great celebration, and, and hopefully you had a chance to join us this morning early as I was outside in a very neat and unique setting and uh, just sharing the word of the Lord together. You can see that on Facebook, and we'll also have that on our website as well. This morning, though, we're going to do something very, very different that we've never done before, and if you've forgotten about this, let me remind you that we're going to do communion or take part in communion here at the end of the service in just a little bit. So if you haven't found some bread or a wafer or a cracker or some juice or something like that, scurry along now or send somebody after it, if you will, so that we can do this, and you're going to just take communion as I lead us through that here in just a few minutes, okay? Also, uh, two things. This is a benevolent offering Sunday. I really haven't mentioned this in a long time, but it's the time where God's people here at Laurel Hill uh, give of their uh, offerings in a unique way to help reach others that uh, are having benevolent needs. So this is the Sunday for that. Uh, but speaking of which, because we're not here to receive your offerings, we want to thank you uh, for each of you who have been faithful in giving your offerings. It has been a tremendous blessing this week to see the money coming in. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for that. 
God is greatly pleased and honored through the giving of offerings monetarily. And we have to have that in order for these kind of things to continue on. So please uh, be faithful. Trust the Lord. I know it's scary times right now uh, financially, but uh, don't be afraid to do as the Lord has commanded and give of your heart. Uh, Give out of the abundance of your heart monetarily so that the work of the Lord can continue on. So thank you for being faithful this past week in doing that. I know that the virus is what's in everybody's mind right now, and that's just obvious, and and all of us are thinking through a lot of that right now. But today is the day to celebrate what God has done. And so we're going to talk about one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture, uh, a message from the Apostle Peter on the resurrection, and make some application of to what we're experiencing right now through all of that. You know, every year I try to preach something a little bit different uh, on Resurrection Sunday so you get the full meaning of the glorious resurrection of Christ. And, and I would like to do again that this morning, but the reality is the message doesn't change. Uh, no matter what the circumstances are, the Bible is timeless. Uh, there are no unique situations that God has not addressed. We may have to search a little bit and study through it like we were talking about last week, but... God has made a way in his word for us to have the knowledge of whatever we need to have knowledge about so that we can have the help that we need. People need to hear this morning about the resurrection of Christ. It is the greatest celebration of the church. Uh, Christmas is wonderful. All the other holidays are wonderful. Uh, If it weren't for the coming of the Lord Jesus, we would not have the resurrection, but the resurrection is the greatest celebration of the church. And so this morning we're going to spend time on just that. Now, there have been many, many, many great preachers over the centuries, fantastic preachers, ones that I could never come close to in in preaching, who've hit the ball literally out of the park every time with preaching the gospel. But to me, as I was alluding to just a moment ago, the greatest message ever preached on the subject of the resurrection was by the Apostle Peter. And I love Peter so much because he was just a real man. He was a man's man. He was just a real guy. He said what he thought. He did what he thought. He failed a lot because he was just a guy who lived life the best that he knew how. But when he finally believed in everything that Jesus had been telling him, he became one of the greatest preachers ever. And we have recorded for us in the Word of God his delivery of that message as he would explain to the people listening uh, what the cross was all about. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer right now and thank him for this privilege that we have today to enjoy everything that God is doing. So, Father, we're blessed today. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this joy and this privilege that we have on this special, special day to celebrate you. Lord, our hearts are heavy on the one hand, on the one hand because uh, the pews or the chairs are empty, Uh, But, Lord, we know that through this virtual casting of this message today, we're together in our hearts, and we thank you for that. And now, Lord, we come to this very important time as we've celebrated through singing and our service early this morning and just praise you and ask that you'd open our minds and our hearts that we would hear the truth of who you are and what you want us to know today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've titled the message this morning, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. The greatest sermon 
ever preached. And the context now comes from Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And let me just explain the beginning of this sermon before we get to that part. And then we're going to read the sermon in its entirety. It's a lengthy sermon, but we want to get the full meaning of it, of it all. So the time was Pentecost. You might say, well, what is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost actually means 50th. It's a word that represents 50th. And in the New Testament, it's the equivalent for the Hebrew celebration of the Feast of Weeks. Now, if you've studied Hebrew culture and the Hebrew uh, scriptures, the Old Testament, you know what I'm talking about here. It's when the first fruits of the harvest were brought in to the house of God as a celebration of what God had been doing or had done for the people to redeem them as his blessed people which would be 50 days, and this is where the 50th comes in, 50 days after Passover. And you can see this in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, beginning around verse 15 and following, and it'll give an explanation of what I'm talking about here. Now, what is Passover? Well, you're familiar with Passover, just if nothing more, you hear it during the year if you're not certain what it is. It's the celebration of when the death angel passed over the Hebrew children while they were still in bondage in Egypt. And God had told Moses to have everyone who would trust him to put blood from a lamb on the doorpost and the lentils and the death angel would pass over. God would pass over those houses and he would preserve them. And so that's what Passover is. Well, the Feast of Weeks was commanded also as a celebration by God to the Hebrews in Moses' day. In fact, if you go to Exodus 34:22, this is exactly what Moses wrote. You shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks. There it is. That is the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the Feast of Ingathering at the turn of the year. So first fruits was known also as the Harvest Festival. Again, in Exodus 23, you can see that. And it was celebrated, here's the point, 50 days after Passover. Okay, so we're now 50 days after Passover, and that's the festival that's being talked about here in the book of Acts. That's the gathering that's going on. And so in the context of the book of Acts, God is going to reveal his purpose for Pentecost, his purpose for the Feast of Weeks. It's all coming together now in the context. And Luke is bringing this out by the power of the Spirit to be the day when God's first fruit of his people would be gathered into the church. In other words, God was establishing the church. And so the people then became the reality of what was once a symbolic teaching or symbolic meaning of the gathering of fruits from harvest, the people now, you and I, would become the first fruits of the church. We would become those to to gather into what God started way back in the book of Acts. And just like the feast celebrated the blessings of God physically, the Spirit's coming, that's talked about here in just a minute, was linked to that pattern of feasts in the Old Testament as a pledge of our inheritance. The Spirit was given to us, the Holy Spirit has been provided by God to every believer as a guarantee of our inheritance into his kingdom. Here's the scripture that Paul would use to describe that in Ephesians chapter 1. In him, speaking of God, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So there you go. God has provided you and me, the Holy Spirit, to indwell our hearts as a 
sealing of the inheritance that God has promised to us that we will be his people and we will be his people eternity and live with him in his kingdom to the praise of his glory is why God created the church. And so Pentecost now was the time when God was giving the Holy Spirit to the church and to the believers to be in the heart of man. But it was also the time, and this is where we're getting back into the context here, where God proved who Jesus is to the people listening to Peter's sermon and proved that his people will persevere as his people forever through the Spirit's power. Now, as the devil often does and will try to do frequently, he tries to stop everything that God is doing because many of the people believed that day and what they were seeing, but there were many who thought the people were drunk. In Acts chapter 2, verse 13, they say to Peter and those listening, what's going on here? Are these people drunk? And people, of course, Peter quickly straightens that out because he knows better and says, no, this is the act or an act of God. What you see before you is an act of God. It's marvelous, it's miraculous, but it is certainly of him. And so Peter now takes advantage of the opportunity that's in front of him and he launches into, in my opinion, the greatest sermon that explains all that God has done to rescue the souls of man from eternal damnation. And so, again, take your Bibles now and let's read verses 14 all the way through verse 41. I will bring the whole context of the letter of the the sermon here into the picture, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, and this is after all of what we just explained, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, Peter says, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Beloved, preaching has always been the method of God, his chosen method to reach the souls of people. Well, there are so many churches out here today have worked tirelessly, and I mean tirelessly, engaging people or trying to engage people with where they are and their culture and their thinking and their philosophy with the latest, greatest exciting things from coffee bars and styles of dress and buildings and facilities and programs and activities and seminars and whatever's going to create the latest and greatest excitement to get people interested in the things of God, churches have attempted to do it. But preaching has always been the primary way of getting God's word into the hearts of people. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying I'm against those things, but I am saying that God's method, according to his word, is the preaching and the teaching of his of His holy and infinite word. In fact, at the time Luke recorded this event, the world was no friend to Christ and the prophets. When we talk about comparing ourselves with the world in the day that Luke wrote this, thousands of years ago, it's not like our culture is today. In fact, in Jerusalem, there was no uh, Bill of Rights. There were no uh, First Amendment rights. There were no preserving laws on the people like we have in our nation to have religious freedom. It was a pagan society that was growing worse and worse all the time. And it's in that culture, in that situation, that God brought this message of the truth of who Christ is because he knew that that was what was necessary to reach people. And people just simply lived and believed what was preached to them. And they paid for it dearly. In fact, in those days... To be called a Christian would mean that you're a martyr. You might as well have signed your death warrant. It was going to be that tragic. And and Peter knew that. Peter knew what was in front of him. He knew what the culture was like. He knew what people were saying. He knew the animosity against Jesus. They had just crucified him just weeks earlier. But yet Peter stands up boldly and he proclaims the truth of God. And that's what led to over 3,000 people receiving Christ that day. And what all that means is all these other things, again, have their place, but God is the one who changes hearts, beloved. It's him who reaches in and uses his word to teach us truth and to 
penetrate into our souls. And there's nothing man can do by himself that's going to accomplish anything like that. So listen, we're living in a day, and you know this as well as I do, when the Word of God must be preached clearly and without excuse. And I mean clearly without excuse, without the concern of who might or who might not like it, because it is the power of God unto men's souls. And so too many churches are so much more concerned with who do I vote for and get all wrapped up in the political climate, and that has its importance, please understand me, has its place. Or protecting the rights of people, again, that's all important. But listen, we belong to another world, amen? We belong to another kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God. Our souls have been renewed and rejuvenated. We've been made new, the Bible tells us. And so we are to preach the kingdom of God and speak his word clearly so that the souls of men and women are rescued. That's the message of the church. So let's see what Peter preached that caused God to use his message so much and to change the hearts of the people. Number one, I'm going to give you several points here. Number one, if you look at the text here, Peter preached that God already told them that this great day was coming. That's how he started. We're not going to go through every verse, but I do want to highlight some things. If you'll notice, Peter brought up the prophets. Well, it was the prophets who were the spokesmen for God long before Peter came on the scene. They were the ones who were the mouthpieces of God. They were the ones who proclaimed the truth of God when there was a world that was without the Scriptures and as the Scriptures were being made known so that the people would hear from God and know how to conduct themselves, know how to live their lives, know how to be effective in this world and be pleasing to the Lord. And so Peter, as we just read, quotes from the prophet Joel about what they had just witnessed. Joel had prophesied all this, so there was no excuse for them missing what was going on. But yet the Hebrew people, as you heard me say in the earlier part of the chapter there, is that they were assuming these people were drunk because they were lacking understanding. But God had said this very thing would happen. And by the way, just so we're all clear here, is that God never does anything without giving fair warning about what he's doing. God is not a God who sits back and waits for everybody to figure it out. No, God has clearly made known what he's going to do. Now, we may not understand it all, but God has made himself known. And this is a perfect illustration. If you notice in Joel's prophecy hundreds of years before, who also spoke of the end of the world when God would display his power in judgment. Joel talked about all of that, which is what Peter repeats. And so he's not coming up with something new here. He's simply reiterating what God has already said, reminding the hearers on this day, this Pentecostal day, if you will, in the truest sense of the meaning, they were to be the witnesses of God's prophecy. They were front and center of what God was preaching or what God had been teaching, and so they shouldn't have been surprised. But just like the people in Jerusalem didn't know exactly what the timing was of the coming of the Holy Spirit, they didn't know. They believed that God would provide, those who were the true believers. Neither will we know the exact timing of Jesus' return. Now, I spoke about this in the early service, so you should go back if you'd like and listen to that on Facebook, and again, it'll be on our website as well. Visit laurelhill.com, but... You can go back and listen to that. Neither do we know the coming again of Jesus, the return that he comes again, when he comes again. But we do know the signs. He's given to us the signs. Let me just read from you for you from Matthew 24. For many, Jesus says, will come in my name. There's one sign. And say that I am the Christ, and they'll mislead many. And we've watched that over the years. Well, it's going to just get worse. There'll be many more who come about. 
You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that's not the end. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there'll be famines and earthquakes. And we see all of these things, but these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. In other words, it's going to get far worse. And then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. And I just have to tell you, I think that we're seeing that much more clearly today. Now, I don't know the timing of all of these things, but in the progression of them all, you can tell that love is not something that's important to most people. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What's Peter saying? He's going back to Joel's prophecy, and he's saying, number one, listen, I'm just telling you what God has already said. And God used that. Secondly, Peter preached that Jesus proved who he is by the miracles he did. Again, if we watch Peter's message, watch this in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, how? With miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Peter's preaching this. So he's saying one of the greatest proofs of the deity of Jesus Christ is through his miracles, by what he did. In fact, let me read to you from John chapter 3. This came, this man came to Jesus by night, speaking of Nicodemus, and I just haven't read that part, but it's Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, listen carefully what he says, we know that you have come from God. This is a, a leading Jewish teacher who knew the scriptures. He says, we know that you come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He knew that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke writes for us, These things he also presented himself alive. To these things he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. By many convincing proofs. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days. This is after the resurrection. Jesus would appear that many times. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And listen. It wasn't Jesus performing these miracles on his own. The Father was giving to him exactly what he wanted his son to do and to prove who he was by his very works. Notice what Jesus says in John 5, verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative as he had laid aside certain attributes of his deity, if you will, for a certain time period. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him, speaking of the Father who sent me. Jesus' whole purpose was to come and fulfill everything that the Father had given for him to do. This was in the mind of God to send his Son to be the Redeemer of the world, and Peter is helping to clarify this. In John 5:36, he would also say, For the work, speaking of Jesus here, which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. So again, in other words, listen, people of Israel, listen, church, to be proven who Jesus is, we watch the miracles that he performed. That's really test number two. Number three, in his message, Peter preached 
that there's no point in denying who he is. There's really no point in denying who he is. Notice in verse 22, back to Acts chapter 2. He says that Jesus is a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Notice this, just as you yourselves know. You know this. You know this to be true. The people of Israel could not plead ignorance about who Jesus was. And I should say in present context who he is. They had no excuse for the denial of who he is. But they still hated him. And that's the mystery of sin. The mystery of sin is that it can know the things of God fully and truly, but yet deny who he is in his very existence. That's what sin does. Sin works in the heart of every soul to cause us to hate the truth, to hate the light of God, to hate everything about him. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Listen to what he says as his own answer. Here's why you don't, in other words. It's because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Listen, that's why people reject Jesus. That's exactly why people reject Jesus, because as God is saying here, and I told you preaching is straight to the point, but the message of the word is is that they reject God because truly, according to the Lord, they are of their father, the devil. You and I prior to the saving knowledge of Christ and his changing of our souls, were of our father, the devil, every one of us. We were born as children of sin. And as children of sin, we hate the light. We can't stand the things of God. In fact, the scriptures say that we love the darkness in our own sin. That's why sin exists, to promote the darkness. But Peter is saying, listen, even though those things are true in your own heart and you know them to be true, God is still going to hold you accountable. You can't use sin as some kind of an excuse. He's going to hold everybody accountable. Even though we may reject the truth, or even though a person may reject him as God, there is no excuse for who he is. And Romans 1 makes that very clear. Specifically in verse 20 through 21. Here's the fourth thing. Peter's message was so powerful that it actually exposed their sin. And you can just see this beginning to build in this crescendo-like fashion as Peter is making his point. He says, This man, again speaking of Jesus, was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So in other words, Peter's saying, Listen, I'm not going to deny it. I know it to be true that God, by his own foreknowledge, his predetermined plan, orchestrated the coming of Christ from the beginning of time, even before man entered into the earth in his divine wisdom. I don't understand all of that. But he says, because man is sinful and has rejected God, God, uh, man is accountable to God for that. And Peter spoke this sad truth. Notice he says, you nailed him to a cross. It was God's predetermined plan, but you are accountable for your actions. And in God's infinite wisdom, he does that for all of us. 
we are accountable for what we know to be true. We are accountable for the sins that we commit to God, against God. That to be clear, historically, it was the Romans who physically put Jesus on the cross. But it was the Jews out of their own wickedness of their heart who didn't want that kind of leader. They wanted someone to lead them against the Romans, devised a plot, inspired through Judas Iscariot, to get rid of Jesus because they didn't want their sin exposed. What they wanted was power and control. And in order to keep that, they had to get rid of Jesus. And so they contrived a plan through their father, the devil, to get rid of him and to expose him for what they believed he really was, which was false. Jesus, in turn, exposed them for who they were, were a bunch of hypocrites. So Peter's point is it was by God's sovereign choice to use sinful men to accomplish his purpose to redeem anyone who will look to Christ for forgiveness. Again, that doesn't absolve man for his, of his responsibility for his sin and denying Christ. In fact, Luke 22:22 22 says, For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. In the context of Luke there, Jesus is talking about specifically Judas, but we could apply the same thing to anyone. Anyone who willfully denies Christ is no different than anyone who has denied Christ ever. Man's willful rebellion against Christ will be judged. This is the truth of God. It will be judged. And there are many ways that we deny Christ. If you just want to think through them a little bit, we don't fully embrace Him as God. Often we're distracted by the things of this life and fall victim to what we enjoy more than God. We don't obey His commands. We'll make excuses instead of living according to what He says. We don't love Him from the depth of our heart as the Lord commanded us to. We don't love His people like the Lord commanded us to love. And we can show the greatest devotion outwardly about who God is and what we say God is and what we say we believe Him to be, but not have a heart that truly follows Him. Because true love is bound up in the heart. It's an expression of the heart. And that's what we need to make sure that we're doing. So even though man may reject God, God though, and this is the beauty of our Lord, so loved the world. In the midst of rejection, in the midst of refuting His Son and turning away and crucifying His Son on a criminal's cross, God so loved the world, we're told in John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His Son as a sacrifice, as a, as a blessing to us. He gave His Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Listen to verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world. It's not why Jesus came. God will judge. Man will be put eternally in damnation if he doesn't come to Christ in truth. But Jesus came the first time so that the world might be saved through Him. In fact, it was the prophet Isaiah many, many, many hundreds of years before the coming of Christ in chapter 53, who would prophesy and say, Surely our griefs He, that's Jesus Himself, bore and our sorrows He carried. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but He was pierced through for our sins, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon Him and by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Everybody. 
Each one of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Jesus. Boy, isn't that the message of the gospel? From the prophet Isaiah speaks the truth of everything that Peter is reiterating. Is that Jesus became our substitute. God so loved us that on this day that we're celebrating right now, the resurrection of Christ, God sent his son to live a perfect life, to be the perfect substitute for the sins that we could not pay for. And he gave his life that we might have eternal life. And that's why we celebrate this day. That's why we worship the Lord every day of our lives because of what he has done for us to pay the debt of our sin for us. And so Peter is bringing that all out, all of this now, out to these people that are listening that day. So here's a fifth thing. Peter's sermon proved that it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. And you can see all this in Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Peter says, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now skip down to verse 32 of Acts 2. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth that which you both see and hear. In other words, everything that's being put on display in front of you right now in this power of this working of the tongues is God's work. And so Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. And then he tags this little message on the end of this and says, this Jesus whom you crucified. He wants them to feel the weight of what they've done. You see, that's what preaching does. Preaching delivers God's message so people hear and feel the weight of their sin. That's the design of God's purpose of in his word is so that we all come under the conviction and the power of his spoken word into our hearts. And then we hear the glorious truth of what God has done to set us free from the guilt of our sin. That's the purpose of preaching and teaching so that we hear the glorious good news of what God has done for us. And so Peter is saying, listen, you may deny all that you can deny about Jesus. And they worked hard to deny who Jesus was. In fact, they came up with their own excuse and they were told in the Scripture that they went to the soldiers who were guarding the tomb and said, now listen, When Jesus was resurrected, they said, you need to lie about this because we don't want this all out. You can see that in Matthew 28 and the other Gospels. Pretend like it never happened. Or say that the disciples came and stole the body. And there have been many many excuses over the years that people have come up with. Some people say, oh, Jesus never really died on the cross. He just fainted. He just went into a kind of a catatonic state, if you will and all kinds of other things that we won't take time to look at this morning, but uh, excuses. But the greatest proof is what Jesus is preaching here, excuse me, what Peter is preaching here. The greatest proof of Jesus being who he said he was is the resurrection. It is the resurrection. It's the empty tomb. And Peter makes that the, the central fact of his sermon. That Jesus was raised from the dead, proving that he is God come in the flesh because no one else could do such a thing. No one ever has and no one ever will again do such a thing as the ultimate payment for sin, which becomes the guarantee of our salvation and our own resurrection 
The fact that we one day will also be resurrected. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus would say, After a little while the world will no longer see me. He's talking about when he's going to leave. But you will see me because I live. Listen to this. You will also live. Amen. Because Jesus lived again and now lives and is seated at the right hand of the Father, you and I who put our trust in Him will live again. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, in other words, that we become united in a way as we personify and picture the death of Christ in our own lives, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. In other words, God is not going to do one without the other. He's not going to let you die to your sins and not be resurrected. There's coming a day, beloved, where we're all going to be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 6.14, Paul says, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. If there's been better or greater truth in a message than that, I don't know what it is to which Paul preaches to his critics who were denying the resurrection of the bodily form. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, if the dead are not raised, then not even Jesus has been raised from the dead. If this, truth, if this is not true. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. What's the, what are you believing in? What are you holding on to if this is not true? And in those, Paul says, also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Everybody's dead, in other words. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, we are ridiculous. It is absolutely pitiful. But then he says in verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Christ was the very first to rise from the dead. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, that's the sinfulness in us all, which requires us all to die to pay the penalty of our own debt. So also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. And this morning we don't have time to go through all of the glories of that and the truth of what God is going to do one day, but just suffice it to say that there's coming a day that because Christ died and was resurrected, we also will be resurrected. And then sixth. God used Peter's sermon to bring conviction to their hearts so that they would repent. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, listen to this. Now when they heard this, when they heard, not just hearing for the sake of hearing, but when they heard this truth in their hearts, they were pierced, the text says, to the heart. What does that mean? Well, pierced is a word that means stabbed. It was a penetrating truth. It was a sudden an unexpected truth that came into their souls as Peter preached this. This was the work of God. And they heard it. They were cut deeply in their souls and they realized what they had seen for the very first time. They had murdered their Messiah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the guilt and the remorse and the feeling of that? That they knew the prophets had spoken of the Messiah. They knew the truth of God. These were God's chosen people. They knew that God had said all of this. And now it was coming to full understanding in their minds that they were the ones who were responsible for putting Jesus, the Messiah, the God of all gods, on the cross. 
And Peter says they were pierced to their souls. And so in an act of sheer desperation, they cry out in verse 37, What shall we do? What shall we do? The only one who could save us, we've killed. The only one who truly loved us, we've killed. And the text doesn't say that, I'm adding that. But in their minds, we can just understand that it was all over. In their minds, they were doomed. There was no more hope. There was nothing that could change what they had done. Jesus was dead. But on this glorious resurrection, Peter's proof was to point them to who Jesus really is and that by God's gracious and merciful hand, he was willing to forgive them of this heinous crime. That's the love of our God, beloved. That our God would be willing to forgive the most wicked of sins, the sin that would nail his son to the cross. And if God was willing to forgive that sin, surely he'll be willing to forgive you and me of every sin that we've ever committed. That's the promise of God. Listen, Peter says, here's what you do in verse 38. Repent. Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you hear the word of the Lord? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now what does repent mean? It means to change your mind. Change your purpose. Not just from an outward way, but turn inwardly from sin to God. Not just remorse. Not just feeling bad about this, but a full acceptance of Christ and who He is. Forsaking the sin fully and saying, Lord, I don't want any of that in my life. I want to turn from that. From my heart I want to turn from that. And Peter would say in verse 19, chapter 3, We've been looking at chapter 2, but in in chapter 3 he says, Repent again, return, so that your sins may be wiped away. This is a different message. In order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. But the message is the same. Later in chapter 8 of Acts, Peter would say this, Repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Listen. What a beautiful truth. That's the message. That's the message of Christianity. That's the message of the church. That's the message of God. Every Sunday morning, every day of our life is that God is a forgiving God. That God will take your sins and He will wash them white. He'll wash them clean if you'll just come to Him in repentance. If you'll just turn your heart over to Him and say, Lord, I don't want to walk this way anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to do the things that I do anymore. I trust You as my Lord and Savior. I believe that You are God come in the flesh and I surrender my heart to You to pay the debt of my sin before the Father. And Jesus and God will forgive you. In fact, we know it to be true for us because Peter would conclude his sermon by saying this in verse 39. For the promise is for you, speaking to the people right there in their context, and for your children. But not only them, but for all who are far off. That's you and me. That's us. As many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. Listen, don't put yourself in a box that God can't. you don't think God can open. God is able to reach you wherever you are right now. Whatever, you're done, whatever you've done, it's not too difficult for God. Whatever it is that you've been concerned about, whatever you believe that God can't forgive is a lie because God will forgive you. Listen, in Acts chapter 17, let's go several chapters over. 
And hear this, beginning in verse 30. God is now declaring to men, speaking of the world, that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man who he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In other words, what the Lord is saying here is that there's coming a day where Jesus will return to this earth and he is going to judge every living soul according to how they have treated him and what they've done with him. That's what is being written there in Acts chapter 17. The same Jesus that came as the Savior of the world will one day come as the judge. And beloved, then it's going to be a day that you will wish has never come if you've never repented of your sin and trusted Christ. It was the people hearing Peter on this day who were asking the fundamental question that everyone should do at some point in their life when they come to the knowledge of this truth. And that question you heard earlier is, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do in this predicament? Well, here's the answer. You've already heard it. If your heart is convicted of sin right now, if you're feeling the tugging of the Holy Spirit in you right now and you can tell that God is talking to your heart and pointing out things in your life, the answer then is like thousands and millions have done over the centuries with God's truth is begged Him for forgiveness and surrendered their life to Him. The word is repent. That's what we've been talking about. And listen, God will respond. I promise you God will respond. In fact, God did respond. Over 2,000 years ago, God responded when he raised Jesus from the dead. That was his response. And God, because he responded then, he will respond to you in your plea for help and your plea for surrender. And he will embrace you as you embrace him. He will embrace you as you embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. And he will be gracious to you. Listen, John 14, 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. God's promise is true. These are some of the reasons why the people's hearts were convicted. Peter was no great man. Peter was just a servant of the Lord. And he just simply reiterated the truth of everything that the people were supposed to have known. Maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Maybe you're tuning in because it is Easter and something has prompted you to turn on this or somebody's invited you to watch Facebook this morning or YouTube and you're hearing this for the very first time, I just want to help you to understand that no matter again who you are, where you are, Christ will forgive you. He will receive you as one of his children if you'll just remove that heart of stone and turn to him as Lord and Savior. I promise you that he'll do that. In a minute, we're going to offer a prayer of confession to the Lord. But right now we're going to pause, and this is what I was saying to you earlier. If you uh, want to take part in communion, uh, we've got some elements here that Pastor Hamp and I are going to take part in. And uh, right there where you are, if you desire to take communion, then you're more than welcome to do that as I lead us through some of the scripture here. And um, what is communion? Communion is the New Testament, if you will, the New Covenant understanding of what Passover was all about as Jesus instituted the new covenant in the upper room just before his death and his resurrection. He said as an ordinance, and a lasting ordinance, I want you to do this 
in remembrance of me. Remember that it was my body that was given for you as a sacrifice. It was my blood that was shed for you to cleanse your sins and also as a sacrifice. And you do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. And what better day could we do this than on Easter Sunday morning? And so I want to invite you to just begin to search your hearts and begin to ask the Lord how it is that you would uh, like to uh, ask God to forgive you and and uh, confess to him the truth of who you are and believe that he is God. And communion is one of the proofs of your belief in him. And so as I distribute these elements, you do the same. I said this is a, a unique time for us, very special as your room, wherever you are right now, because it becomes a holy time as you're before the Lord. A very familiar passage that we often read here is from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Paul would write, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And Jesus said to his disciples on the night of that Passover in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul would reiterate, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take part in the cracker or bread or whatever you have right now. same way verse 25 he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me beloved I hope you've been blessed this morning as much as my heart has been blessed if there could ever be a greater time for the church to gather, it would be on Easter Sunday morning. And again, praise the Lord that he's made a way for us to be able to do this. And I'm just so excited about what God is doing in your heart, what he's doing in my heart, what he's doing in the hearts of us who make up the church here at Laurel Hill. And I pray that of all days, this would be the day, if you're lost and without Christ, that today you'd be able to say, he is my Lord and Savior. So let's close our time together in prayer and then Pastor Hamp is going to come and sing a song for us as we finish our time together. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we honor you as our God and our Savior. Thank you for the preached word. Thank you for Peter and many others who have gone before him, the prophets. 
Lord, who have given to us through your power, your word that leads us to salvation. Thank you, Lord, for this day of all days as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior because we know, as your word has just taught us, that one day for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we will also be resurrected to live eternally with him. Thank you, Father, that there's not a sin that you're not able to forgive. We honor you and we bless you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.